The champ is here. We will definitely not shut up and dribble. The champ is here. Our first game of play. The champ is here. I'm going to continue to stand with the people. The champ is here. I will not lose. Yes. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you're here with we. My name is EJ, and I got my man. MH. Yes, he is the DB of the show, and we are Black in Sports, giving a voice to the culture that won't shut up and dribble. Here interviewing the best professionals in the game and in the boardroom. We're covering it all, laughing it all, while providing a platform to be heard. So, our listeners, you know what we do around now. We have to welcome our guest, and he is a former pro football player, okay? So he spent a brief time with the 49ers, so I'm trying not to hold that against him for what the 49ers did to my Steelers the first week <laughs> of this football season. But um, he's also the founder of the w Turn uh, RW, excuse me, Turner Lab. He's a speaker, author of the book, Not For Long. Please, please clap it up for assistant professor at the George Washington University School of Medicine, excuse me, medicine, Dr. <laughs> Robert that's a lot, Dr. Robert R. Turner II. All right, all right. Thanks for having me. And I'll tell you right up front. Okay. People say I'm not. I'm not. I'm no longer a 49er fan. I, I got love for the 49ers, but people say, "How come you're not a 49er fan?" I said, "Well, they stopped paying me, so <laughs> therefore, you know, I got no loyalty there, right?" My nephew plays for the Commanders, Cole Turner, number 85. So I got love there, oh, and then okay. and then my Giants got stomped this weekend. So you know, hey, no matter how you feeling, you're not feeling as bad as I am. Yeah, I, I'm glad mm -hmm. you said that. I'm glad you said the Giants and not the Jets because I was about to pray. For, we was about to have a moment of silence <laughs> to pray for you. Hey, collection plate, all of that. <laughs> hey, well, you know what? Listen, the Jets are who we knew they were, are, yeah. right? They, yeah. they, it don't matter who they got. They, it don't matter, right? It just unless they bring Joe Willie back, they ain't going nowhere. <laughs> Love it. Love it. So. Quick uh, question how we like to start this off is just we always ask um, a shoot your shot moment. So this is where we would ask, you know, kind of anytime you shot your shot, right? So you, you've gone on to say I've done three careers, right? So you had a lot of opportunities to shoot your shot, but it could have been win or lose, um, win or lesson, we like to say. So just give us a quick story of a time you shot your shot, went for it all. Actually, I'm going to switch that up a little bit, and I'm going to tell you how – I realized that that I had shot my shot you okay. know, because 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 I guess you could say in a lot of different ways. I have played in a lot of different arenas and I've been quite successful. But given my background, given all of the things that have happened to me, I, I actually didn't I didn't really realize that I had, had kind of made it right. So I was given I was on a book tour with um, a very good friend, um, a dear colleague, someone that I have a major amount of respect for, Vaughn Bryant, who went played at Stanford University. He's from um, Detroit, and um, he was drafted into the, in the NFL. And so during that book, you know, I was giving a talk at the University of Chicago, and, and Vaughn had said to me, he said, um, when did you realize that you have, you have made it, like you've made your mark? And I, and I looked at him and I said, man, I, I didn't even really knew that. I didn't 
think that I had made my mark. I, I never thought of myself that way. And he said to me, he said, hey, man, he said, you know, you, you have a Ph.D. He said, forget about the football. You have a Ph.D. He said, you know, you're a black man with a Ph.D. He said, you've written this book. It's very successful. And at that time, I was deeply involved with writing and uh, putting together, helping to develop the movie um, Student Athlete for um, LeBron James. And so I was in the movie and we helped write it and all that other stuff. And he said, by any measure, you know, you are a successful brother. And I had never really thought of myself that way. I was just doing what I do. Right. And he said, but you got to stand up and you got to own that because that really is something that will help a lot of other people. And so that's how I knew that my shot was made, but I didn't even realize that. That's when I came to understand that there is something about, you know, um, being out there and putting yourself out there and then um, carrying the mantle, the torch that other people have provided for you. That's lovely. That's deep. That's DB love. Next play, next man up. You know, it's just (laughs) kind of the mindset. We 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 on to the next one. But where, Doctor Turner, where did your love for sports start? Um, well, I can I can actually trace it back to the very time that it happened. I can't. That must have been about seven, eight years old at the at the max. I'm from North New Jersey, and I grew up in this you know big family. My mom and my dad actually both had very big families and their backyards touched each other. So I grew up in an, an enclave, right? A bunch of folks that had, you know, migrated to up north, right? To New Jersey, right? Great migration. And I just remember, and I, it was a Sunday. It could have been a Thanksgiving. I'm not exactly sure, but I was a little snotty nosed kid. And I remember all the women were in the kitchen and they were cooking and getting everything right. You know, it was like a Sunday ritual for us, but the men were all huddled around the television. And they were screaming. And I said to myself, I was playing with with, uh, trucks or something like that. And I remember saying to myself distinctly, I said, I don't know what that is, but if it gets people that excited, that's what I want to do. And then from that time on until, if you read my book, until I was cut, released by the 49ers and not knew what what I was going to do next. But from that moment on, all I ever wanted to do was be a professional football player. Right. And I'm fortunate enough to be able to do it. But that that was my moment. Wow. So so it's it's been football. It, it hasn't been any other. Did you dabble was, any other sports? Or it was it everything, you know, from, um, you know, I played baseball. Back, you know, I'm from back in the day where like when I was a kid, my dad took me to see um, Bob Gibson and said, you know, wow. this is a, when he's playing, you know, Cardinals against the Mets. And, he, you know, they broke it down, black history, why it was so important, right? And the North Bears and my hometown and everything. And so I grew up again, you know, I, um, all the legends of black sports, black legends for Thea Gibson from everybody, right? So I grew up in that, just kind of that love. So in a, in a way, there's a, and I talk about this in, in, the, in the book, but like, so I play football, basketball, baseball, ran track and everything. Um, but there is a, a, a backstory to all of that where I thought that I chose sports, right? But actually sports chose me in a lot of different ways. That's beautiful, man. That's, that's really dope. So one of the things that you brought up, because it was one of the questions I had, was you were involved with the student athlete, um, you know, documentary movie that they had uh, with LeBron James. Um, and that was back in 2018. So right. then there wasn't this thing called NIL that was created. Now that NIL is created, do you think that, you know, we're all said and done, the battle's over? Or do you think there's another level or a layer of stuff that we still need? 
Well, that's a great question. And it's not one that we have enough time to really dive into because it, it really is a very important question. And it's one that unfortunately, anyone who watches, you know, major college sports knows that the money involved with major college sports is directly derived from the back of black athletes, right? Um, male and female, right? Men's and women's sports. And so actually when, when we, um, when we showed that movie at the in Congress, right? It, we, it was um, it was hosted by the Black Congressional Congress as well as the Hispanic Congressional Congress. And um, when we showed the movie, one of the things that I said at that time when we had a Q and A was what I was really concerned with is if we wound up starting to pay pay players that that would obscure the fact that athletes were really being exploited, right? And so in, in, a, in a very um, capitalistic way of what we do in America, we just throw money at a problem and believe that it's, that we've taken care of. There's nothing else to complain about. You're getting paid. So just go out there and again, shut up and dribble. It's another form of that. But the exploitation is such from my perspective is mm -hmm. that, and, and so, and we, people say, well, what do you mean? Right? So all of a sudden, you know, we talk about how important education is and where education will open up all of these different opportunities and schools will say with a very straight face that we really care about athletes we're going to create as many opportunities for them in name image and likeness but at the same time we're going to then fly them you know from um uc berkeley to have to go play uh one one game they got to play against you know boston and then the next week they got to play against miami and then they got to come back around and they got to play you know someplace else louisville Right. So explain to me how you can really get a quality education. And I'm a professor. I'm in a classroom. I have the students at times. How can you actually do that when you're saying to them, you know, in a 17 week season or however many weeks season it lasts over that, you know, you're going to have to be on the road at least eight weeks of that. How can you really say that those four or five classes that you're taking, you're getting a valued education out of that time? Um, it's it's very, real tough to buy that as, as, a, as a valid argument. One one hundred percent. I always say, like, man, I, I, not that I wasted time uh, in, in college as a former collegiate athlete, but I'm. I was like, I don't, I don't know what I got out of it besides football practice, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I completely understand what you're what you're saying, but I, w I want to touch on a little bit of your playing career. How how did you select James Madison? And of course, as a former DB, I got to talk some some DB with you a little bit. We got to touch on a little bit of. All right. So, all right. So, so how was that? How, how, how was the choice of James Madison and your playing career? Well, I, I have to say, first of all, JMU um, hats off to everything that they've been able to do over these last couple of years. I mean, it wasn't the same place as it is right now. We played Division One. I. I played on the very first team in Division One. You know, just prior to me going to JMU, that was a Division um, three schools four years before I got there and, and coach Chalice Joe McMillan actually was given the charge to build a team and he went through registrations back in the day where you actually had to line up, spend the night on the line outside the gym, three, you know, 
three uh, an hour, two hours or four hours before that. And he just went through that line and just started picking up guys and saying, you look like you're big enough. You need to come play. Right. So when, when they came to me at that first year, right. And they said, okay, we, are, we have scholarships with division one. We're, we're going to play UVA. We're going to play Virginia tech. We're going to play all these different programs, but you know, we, uh, everybody else who's who's coming at you that your name came up you know this is you know way before they had you know all of these other five star ratings and everything but um they said there are a lot of people out there, there's a lot of chatter out there where everybody else wants you but we need you right and so as a you know 17 year old kid being recruited at the time you know that was that was music to my ears right it's a place that said hey listen we need you and you're going to be able they didn't say you're going to be able to play right away but they said hey you know we're, we're, you're going to be here to build something right and so and again if you look at the players that i was went to school with just off the top of your head we i, I played with charles haley who's in the hall of fame i played with gary clark who won two Super Bowls, three Super Bowls, two with Washington when they were the Redskins back at that time. Scott Norwood, he kicked for Buffalo, missed that wide right. right. You know, I played. We had a we had a whole host of guys because remember, by the time I got done, we had guys that had played. Um, that was really when the USFL, um, the first iteration, and that's where I, I got I got drafted to play for. Um, Memphis Showboats. I was on the same draft class with uh, Reggie White, and then I got traded to the Generals with with um, you know Herschel Walker and Doug Flutie and all those guys. So we have major ballers, right? So you know they put us out there. My freshman year, I think, guy our offensive line was like one two six two two thirty five was our starting guard. Our starting tackle was two sixty five. But on the other side of the line, when we played against Virginia Tech, was Bruce Smith, right? And he was killing everybody it was a massacre it was horrible right but we had to take our lumps right from from the very beginning so it was a place where the coach guaranteed the one thing he guaranteed was that if you work hard you will be educated here and i'm not allowing you to get out of here without your degree right so everything else we took our lumps but we had we had a bunch of guys that would just we we, we just ball we just played football so was Bruce Smith a, a part of your transition from the offensive side of the ball? Becoming a DB? Great question. <laughs> no. Hey, listen, I was playing wide receiver, and I actually like again. Gary Clark and I were were wide receivers on both sides, and we were we were really really doing it right. We were actually doing doing. I think both of us, our freshman and sophomore years, we really we we really hit some big numbers. But you know, I came from that. I wanted to play defensive back in the first place, right? But they saw you know me catch the ball coming out of high school and said hey you know we've got something here we want to we want to build the offense around that and um so I said hey listen I'd rather be a hammer than a nail I want to hit people you know I like the physicality of the game instead of and, and I did not like the fact that you know what I was a complete prima donna throw the ball if you're gonna throw it a ball you know I need to get every two or three balls out of whatever you put forget about what they're doing on the other side I want the ball if I can't have a ball then put me on defense so I can go out and hit people right and so that's how I wound up being there and and ironically when I went, I was actually a much better wide receiver than I was a defensive back when I got up to Canada where they throw the ball all the time they said hey you want to play both ways and I said yeah so I was loving it there that was great but you know it all came down to me just wanting to hit people. That's why I went on the defensive side. Love it. So um, with that, 
did you run track? I know you said, you know, back in the day, was, was track kind of uh, one of the sports in that mix? Did you ever, you know, how far did you take it? Did you run in high school? And if so, we got to know um, what were the events? I, I'm, you know, my thing in high school, I ran the 200 and the 400, and I was really, really a strong um, 400. I had long legs and big stride, long stride, stuff like that. But I, I ran track mainly um, not because I loved it, but mainly because, and I tell a lot of young people now, I tried to tell my nephew, um, but you know, today's game in particular, you get a scholarship by what you do on the track. You can you get a football scholarship by what you can do on the track. They'll teach you how to play football, right? They teach you how to run. They teach you how to do everything else. But they can't make you run faster than you naturally are, right? So I just wanted to go out and prove that I could run. And and the thing is, I actually wish that I would have run um, the you know like started as my freshman year and ran um, because the one thing that I was not, I never really got down. That's why I was great at, uh, at, at the quarter, right. Was I never got my start down. I mean, I was a, I was a four, four guy, four, four, fives right in that area. But if, if my would have had the start down, it would have been no problem for me to, you know, be very low four, four, maybe even four, three kind of a situation. And, and let's face it, you know what? In the NFL, I told my nephew, all of this is where you go in the NFL, where you are drafted in the NFL, that t- dictates how long you're going to be in and what, what your life is going to be like after the NFL. So the higher you can get drafted, is the more money that you make in today's game with more um, guaranteed money, right? So you're just your second and contract and beyond that is always established by where you go, where you are in the beginning. And if you're a guy that plays out in space, you got to be able to run. Right. So so that that was really what track was for me. And I did real well. I came from, you know, a state where we had when I was, I think, just a couple of years before me was um, was uh, what was his name? Lewis. Right. Uh, Carl Lewis. He was from from there. He, you know, he ran I, and I, my high school years when I was in school was Michael. Um, What's his name? Irving that played uh, Irving Fryer, who was just the first no, number one draft choice. And we had a bunch of guys in Jersey, as you can imagine. We're all trying to get out of here. So we all played a lot of great football. So so speed is everything. So that's what, what foot was for me. I was a basketball player. With, I, I was a horrible shot. I was a guy who fouled out every game. <laughs> Um, and, and that was hey, because those, those I, files count, though. Those files count, baby. Hey, listen, hey, your, your basketball coach knew you were a DB a long time ago. Right. Hey, listen, I was, I was six foot power forward, right? I'm the guy that would hurt you, right? Whenever you try, you start getting short arms because of me. So, so that that was what I did. Hey, we had, we had a matter of fact, I'll tell you this other piece of trivia, but um, Carl Towns, right? You know, Carl Towns, the father, I played with him. We were in high school all year, all our years together. We played in high school. So Carl Towns um, Jr. is from my high school town. We got a bunch of guys in our town that wound up playing in NFL, baseball, all this kind of stuff. We, we got big sports, sports place here in Piscataway. Yeah, Urban Fire probably still getting some reps right now. I mean, I, I think he played for <laughs> 45 years to be out in, in the league. Uh, so we always hear about draft stories, and, you know, uh, now the draft is – you know, totally different where there's, you know, they separate round one and two, three and four, but you were drafted in the 15th round and we hear about the draft story. So I want to know about how did you found out you were drafted? What was that process like? Uh, did, did you know you was getting drafted? Did, were you underwear? Like, just tell me about how that, that, that part went for you. Well, mine was really anticlimactic because my junior year, I actually broke my neck in college, right? So I had a transition from, 
playing a f- um, wide receiver the first two years, freshman and sophomore year. Then I moved into the defensive backfield. And then um, I guess it was about the – I started right away, and I think it was about the fourth or fifth game. I remember exactly. It was October 20th. We were playing against Virginia Military Institute, and I was playing on the right side corner, and um, I was coming up to make a tackle. They were doing a sweep back in the days when they could run the ball, toss, sweep, right? And so I came up, came charged, broke down, was ready to make the tackle. I was Basically, the wide receiver was trying to block me. I shed off the block and moved to go down to make the tackle, and the running back, he actually, you know, hide need me right in the top of the helmet. And I flipped all the way back and I tore my brachial plexus, tore the bicep, tricep, just tore everything. And um, and so there was, uh, you know, you know, by by seriously, you know, my faith in God is very important. My grandmother said she was not allowing the devil to, to, to take her son like that. So uh, she prayed me back to health and um, I went from being paralyzed in my right arm and not being able to move it to then being able to gain some strength and move it very slowly. But then nine months later, I was able to bench press, you know, like about 330 doing, um, you know, squats or over 600. I was fully back. And so I played my senior year all the way through. Uh, but by the end of the year, my neck was really um, bothering me. So I wasn't sure if I was going to get drafted. I wasn't sure. Teams had talked about it, but when they recognized that the, the injury was still bothering, it was lingering, I think that's really what um, why I just basically fell off everybody's radar. And I remember coming back home and um, I wasn't planning to, to go back to play football. I knew I needed to take that time off anyway. So I took a whole year off, but I found that I got drafted in the USFL and the NFL by just reading the the paper. It was like the Sunday paper, you know, and they got everybody's name. And I knew all of these guys from Jersey and all my friends that I had played with. And then way down at the bottom in really, really small print was Robert Turner, right? And so, you know, they called me and said, hey, when you're better, when you're ready to play, we'd like, we got a slot for you, give you an opportunity to 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 make it. And so that's, that's, that's how it happened for me. That's awesome. So you didn't get a tweet? They didn't, they didn't tweet you? <laughs> Had it not been for the fact that my mom and dad knew that I, I really like tore through the sports section every day, I might not have even seen it in the paper, right? <laughs> but uh, it was there. And then I, agents came. And then once I was better, you know, I actually had to go and try out all over again, right? Because, um, you know, especially I was very lucky in the, in the fact that I came along at the time um, at the iteration of the USFL, when the USFL, the Canadian Football League, and the NFL were all warring for the, for players. So the salaries escalated. And, you know, people weren't looking at that time like the NF, the USFL was a, was like a secondary league or, or, you know, the minor leagues in the NFL. If you look at the name of the players, again, I have Reggie White, right, Herschel Walker. You look at Steve Young, Steve Jim Young. Kelly, yeah. all of those guys that wind up being in the Hall of Fame, they were all in the same league. So people weren't looking at the NFL and saying, like, if I don't make it there, then I'm in the juniors. No. And then Canada came back and they started coming with some big money as well. So there were opportunities. And if you could find your way on the field, you you know, there was a lot of great football players back at that time. 
That's good stuff. And it's funny, like, that's a lot of how it happened, right? And then, you know, just getting notified and see, seeing it in the newspaper. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I got drafted, man. Um, so we are jumping into the career. So that was kind of just uh, foreshadowed a little bit into the career. Um, one of the comments that you made is when you were signed by the generals, um, that was uh, Donald Trump's uh, team oh. at the time, man. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, how, so, how's that for a legacy? <laughs> that is, uh, like you said, that's just a part of your legacy, right? <laughs> different times, though, different times. Um, right. One thing I did want to ask is, like, with the league coming back, um, are they reaching out? Are they attempting to build, like, an alumni? Or, like, do they reach out? Like, how was that going with them attempting? I think this is the second or third iteration of them uh, attempting to bring the USFL back. Um, what? I think that, you know, no, they haven't been reaching out. But it, what is kind of interesting is, that, you know, there are like like all of a sudden, you know, I think people the league does have this certain, you know, there's a there's a great stories behind it, 30 for 30 and all this other stuff. And there's so many other players have played. So so the legacy and the history is there and it's always kind of right under the surface. But I think the new the new iteration, they're really trying to find their 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 sea legs. They're not sure if they're actually able to make it from one year to the next. And then they also have, you know, the other league that's out there as well. That they're So there's just so much that they're trying to figure out who's going to rise up and who's going to be stable and make it happen. And what does that league look like going forward? So I, I really don't get the feeling that it's anything tied to what we went through, where we were. And then remember back in the, those days, it was a real regional, like people really cared about the Philadelphia stars. They really cared about the regional teams and the way they're doing it right now, they, they practice and they play in certain areas. It's not part of the community. Uh-huh. So it's a lot, lot different, but I, I do hope because there's a lot of great football players out there. I do hope that the league finds some way to be stable um, and that they give guys the opportunities. And really what it's all about is, and I've said it myself, is all I need is a chance. I just need somebody to give me an opportunity. Right. And as long as when you're young and you're willing to put your body through that, then make the best of it. Because once that it's over, literally the day that you take that helmet off, you're never putting that thing back on. It ain't. And you don't want to. You don't need to. You know, see, football is a young man's game. Play it. Move on. Find the purpose and move on after that. But at the time, try to make the most out of it. So. And I know we'll get probably more into this once we get into like the winner's circle and just a lot of the work that you're doing, but that's a key part of, you know, maybe we'll even transition into the book, right? So you wrote a book, you know, not for long, right? And for those that don't, uh, haven't heard that before, a lot of people call that's the true acronym for the NFL, right? It's not for long. And I think that's one of the things that's kind of a common thread that not only do we talk about a lot in this show and we've experienced, of course, on different levels, right? Because I didn't play professional ball, but is that life after sports right like what is that transition when all of this work all of this momentum like you said from being eight you know you said that's what i want to be right and you drove to do that and then like you hang up the cleats and the helmets off what is that transition like man so talk a little bit about that and why it was important for you to kind of bring that conversation up in your book with talking with the the gladiators of the game that you interviewed for the book Sure. So, so, you know, the, the, the whole title for the book is the NFL means not for long, the life and the career of the NFL athlete. Right. And, and, and really when I, what, I guess the whole impetus, it was, it was part of my dissertation at the city university of New York, the graduate center, that was my dissertation. Right. And then I, I was offered a book contract 
from Oxford University Press, right? And, it, and it's kind of in the, I remember driving down the street in LA years and years ago when I was listening to um, NPR and um, Richard Roden, Bill Roden was, um, sorry, Bill Roden wrote the book, $40 million Slaves, right? And he was talking about kind of what, for the, the black athlete, what was kind of going on. And I remember one day I was in Indianapolis. I'll never forget this. I was at a, at, at, at a the Champ Sports Bar in the, in the, um, in the airport in Indianapolis. And I do remember very strange. I was sitting there shortly after my career was over. And um, there's two guys sitting on the end of the bar, eating whatever, drinking, and something flashed across ESPN. And it must have been some player getting some, some kind of trouble or something. And I remember these guys sitting down there and they said, these football players are idiots. If I had that much opportunity and somebody paid me that much money, I would do this. I would never do that. And I said, at that point in time, having gone through everything, and I said, you know, never make comments about another person unless you've literally lived their lives or walked in their shoes, right? Because you really don't know what it is that, that those people are going through. And so the, the dissertation, the book was really about trying to give voice to, to athletes so that way they could tell from their own perspectives what life is like being in the NFL. And, and that transition moment hit me, right? Because I, as I mentioned to you before, when I was young, I mean, I was a decent student in, in, in high school, decent student in college, never got nearly as much out of school as I should have. Although I was, I guess I got enough out of it to be able to go back and get a PhD and then get advanced training in neurology, neuroscience and all this other stuff. So something must have worked out. But all I ever want to do is play football. And I remember that and I write about this in the book and and that real come to Jesus moment for me that I was not prepared for at all when I was sitting, you know, in general manager's office at, with the 49ers. And he said, you know, thank you very much, but this isn't going to work out. And he's, and then he said, um, where do you want to go from here? What mm. do you want to do now? Right. And I remember I had like a physical response to that. I remember that my ears started buzzing. Right. And I started sweating and I felt very faint because I knew what he was saying to me was this is the end of the road for you. Like I could have, I could have went back up to Canada. I could have waited another year and tried out for another NFL team. But I knew at that point, my, some of the, my neck injury was starting to come back. And I was like, Hey, now I'm at 27 year, 28 years old. This is it. And, and, and I didn't put together that hall of fame career that I thought I was going to have. I, I didn't buy my mom the house. I didn't have millions of dollars in the bank. I was, you know, I was what I wrote in the book as, as I was a journeyman. Right. So I knew at that time that if I had, hung on anymore, I was always going to be that guy from number 45 to 53 at the end of the roster. And even if I made the team, there was no guarantees that I was going to be on there from week to week, right? And so at that point, I was lost. I had no idea what to do. And I went on what I call at that point, literally, that was my wilderness years from 28 to 40. I just was, I didn't know what to do with myself until I got to that point where I was ready to go back to school. And then I went back to pursue a, a PhD. And trust me, I was successful in my business career, marketing and all that stuff, but I was still lost. I didn't have, I didn't know what I, what, what I wanted to do, who I was until I realized, but there was one thing I will share with the audience that was really important is that I did know that, that at again, 27, 28 years old, just transitioning out of the league, 
really literally, where do you want to go? I didn't know where I wanted to go. I went down to, uh, to, to LA from San Francisco to visit my uncle. And then I wanted to hide because I was embarrassed that my career had ended. Right. But I knew one thing. And I, and I said to myself, I said, if, if, if the pinnacle of my success, if, if the greatest achievement that I've ever made was playing professional football at 28 years old, then I'm in trouble for a sad life because I got a whole lot of years ahead of me and I got to figure out what to do next. Love it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not smiling uh, because of the, what, what what you're saying about your career. It's just more that you've 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 explained this part of the transition better than I've, I've probably heard it. Uh, EJ knows I'm super hard headed, and you know I don't <laughs> I, I don't necessarily agree with some of the some of the CTE narrative just because I think there's some parts of it that's left out. And one thing that I heard you say was that uh, a lot of times. Uh, the ones that are studying don't know the 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 mentality of a football player. You said it just just a minute ago that you know you were coming up to uh, defend a power sweep. Like no nobody, you know that's a different mentality to take your body at 190 pounds and say like I'm gonna risk it all and get this guy on the ground. That's a whole different mental like state to it. So I, first of all, I just wanted to commend you and say like yeah, I really appreciate that part of it uh, for sure because nobody's ever really explained it like that. at least I haven't heard it that way. Um, and then even the part of you just said wilderness, <laughs> because I'm not laughing at it, but I just understand what you're saying. I never played at a professional level, but I do understand that part of what, what are we going to do? But can you touch on the part where you said as a kid, you wanted to, to be an NFL football player and for somebody to actually reach their goal and then come up with another goal. That's the part that I feel like sometimes is not really explained because people have goals and then, you know, you kind of keep pushing to them, but to actually reach your goal and say like, man, that was what I really would set out to do. And you've reached it. How did you get in your wilderness time? How did you get to say like, Hey, there's another goal that I want to get to. Like, how was that, that whole process for you? Well, I think that goes back to what was instilled in me as a child that I didn't realize, you know, you, you know, People put things in you, they come along the way and, and, you know, especially playing football. I had this, I had a myopic view of the world, right? I'm just like, man, like it could have been like the bomb could have exploded across the street. I don't know. I still got to go work out, right? I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to do what I got to do, right? But, but when I, um, as I mentioned to you before, my, my grandparents, my family was part of the great migration and, you know, they came up, um, Back in the first wave, 1916, 1920, my grandmother and, and grandfather left North Carolina, right, sharecroppers, and moved to, to uh, North New Jersey. And, um, and when I graduated college, my grandmother, um, she did something that, that really instilled something in me. It was way deep inside. But, you know, and I, didn't, I wasn't aware of all this, but she, she was nothing but about five foot four. And um, my grandmother, when she left the South, had only returned to the South twice. Once was she had my dad drive her to go see her brother's funeral. And they were going to spend the weekend down in, in North Carolina, a small place, Tillery, North Carolina. But they were so 
it brought back so many bad memories that they turned around, went to the funeral and then made my dad drive them back up to New Jersey, um, you know, the, the same day. And we're talking about like in the fifties or something like that. Right. So it wasn't, wasn't like it was an easy drive, but then the second time that she came down South below the Mason Dixon line was for my graduation at James Madison, Harrisonburg, Virginia. And my grandmother, she put in my hand and looked at me and she gave me a, a brand new crisp hundred dollar bill. And she said, I have been waiting for this day my whole life to see one of my children or one of my grandchildren graduate college, right? And then my, my dad mentioned to me, told us later that between my grandmother and grandfather, between both of them, they didn't probably have more than a seventh grade education. One went to third grade and one went to fourth grade or something like that. And so my grandmother, that was the thing that I knew that moment that I, I wasn't like, I wasted college, but I knew at that moment, if it was that important to her that, that I needed to get more education, right? I didn't know where, how, or anything else like that. But that was what eventually led me to really kind of figuring out what I was going to do. So again, my sociology, my biomedical training, being a gerontologist, all of this other stuff, I never knew anything about the career that I have now. I didn't even know it existed, let alone it was possible. Again, it was one of those things that it chose me. Every time, every step of the way, people kept giving me money to go back to school. People kept giving me additional things. It was just like all of a sudden. And then when, once I got to a certain place, it was clear that I'm probably the only person in the country with my unique skill sets and experiences to put me in a place to be able to pursue uh, research and ask questions from the perspective uh, of being a true insider and understanding the life of the individuals. I study black men and I studied former athletes, right? So awesome. uh, I, I can't, I can never divorce myself from those populations. So all of the things that I study are really important to everyone that, I, that, I, that I'm involved with because I can tell them, listen, whether you get involved with my studies or not, it affects me. I care about the answers that I'm seeking in my research. Absolutely. Directly affects you. No, that's good stuff. All right. So uh, right now we're going to uh, jump into the quick hits and then we're going to bring up uh, a special guest uh, into the into the, into the room. So uh, MH, Ray, with them quick hits. Yes, sir. Dr. Turner, just some quick questions. Get to know you type of things. Uh, favorite travel place, favorite vacation place. Oh, man, I love so many. But anywhere, take me to the Caribbeans. I I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I just came back I again. I'm, I'm a, I'm, my dad is, it has Alzheimer's. I'm his caregiver. So in order to, to, in order to take care of someone, you got to take care of yourself. So I went down to this place in St. Lucia called uh, Body Holiday Spa. And it was the first time that I have ever really went to a full-on health and wellness retreat. And, and I got re-energized, right, to be, and I just came, it really helped me come alive again. So that was just, I, I loved it. So anyone who's really caring about your own health and well-being, I would highly suggest doing something like that. Um, but then I also love going down to like Brazil and all those other places like that. But <laughs> <laughs> so Caribbeans, I, I love being down in, in with water is blue and very nice. Are you a breakfast or dinner type uh, gentleman? Uh, well, now that I'm getting a little bit older, I'm gentleman kind of older. I'm, I'm like dinners type of thing. I start my day every day. I try to drink a fruit and vegetable smoothie. I really try to start the day off very healthy, working out that kind of stuff, trying to keep the weight down, you know, just 
hey, listen, you got to, you know, I don't, I don't want all of those old injuries be creeping up on me. So <laughs> I try to, uh, you know, keep all of the fried foods, sugar, red meats, all of that, I try to keep that down to a minimum and then uh, have one good hearty meal in the evening. Shout out to uh, a favorite teammate. Oh, man. Shout out to favorite. Te- you know what? My favorite teammate of all time was a guy named, and I love him to death. Don't talk to him nearly as much as I, I need to and want to, but a guy named Vince Goldsmith. We played together up in Calgary. Goldie. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame up there. He went to University of Oregon. Uh, just a beast on the defensive line. You'd be talking about him in the Hall of Fame in the NFL had he been about um, four or five inches taller. But just an amazing brother, great Christian man, great family man, someone that I look up to all the time, even though we don't talk as much. And then it's the last one. And, and just because of your versatility on the offensive side of the ball and defensive side of the ball, I just want to your top five players in the NFL now or yesteryear of just the best versatile, versatile players, your top five. Oh, wow. Well, I mean, versatile, if we got to go versatile, we have to go number one has to be Dion, right? I've always been a Dion fan. I love the Dion shuffle. I love the way he does. I love people want to criticize him now because he's too cocky and too all of this. And I'm like, but the guy's a winner. You know what? He tells you what he's going to do. He goes out, puts all the people around them, make sure that they're successful at what they do. And then he instills a successful mentality in the kids that he works with. So Dion, I'm, I'm like, huge for that right and then I got to go back to Bo right Bo Jackson right because if we're talking versatility who else is there besides that I mean we don't really know what Bo would have been had Bo not gotten hurt right but the man he definitely brings it right all the time another one um Bo's um teammate that was down in in um in in in, at Auburn uh was Frank Thomas right the the baseball player right he played tight end in college and then also played in um in major league baseball and played for a long time right so you gotta you gotta give love there in terms of just pure pure football players uh I I know I'm I'm going to say two more, but there's so many other people that I could probably say, would say, but I'm, I'm huge on Ronnie Lott, right? Because I, I had the opportunity to basically stand on the sideline and watch him, <laughs> you know, and that guy was like, I mean, you talk about just like he, he's a football player. He's just a warrior. He's a mentality that has, and he's translated that into his life after football. He's just been yeah. just unbelievable in everything that he's done. And then um, for the joy of watching football in the game, I don't think there's ever been in any position anyone better than Lawrence Taylor. Mm. So, um, and Lawrence just ripped it up. Yeah, he <laughs> you know, he, he's the guy that like everything that we see now in terms of Micah Parsons and everybody else, any and everybody else, um, that literally Lawrence um, paved the way for them. He changed the offenses, all getting the ball out quick. Everything, everything that we know is because of that guy right there. 100%. That's it. Love it, love it, love it. So uh, we're bringing uh, bringing the guests in. So um, of our true listeners that's been with us day one, uh, you guys may recognize this face. Uh, You know, we have uh, Jay Vickers. Um, He was on, uh, what was it, episode like 40, 10, like the the low (laughs) numbers when we first started season one. So we're really um, glad to have him. And he's got a little bit of a title change. So he's now the chief operating officer of the Sports Innovative Institute here at the UNLV 
uh, University. And um, there's a great reason why we brought him on. So right now, um, Dr. Turner, we wanted to bring you both on because you guys are putting together something amazing, right? So um, we're now in the winner's circle, and this is when we like to promote and talk about things that are going on and, you know, uh, things that, you know, great sports leaders and uh, people are doing in the community. And the Black Men's Brain Health Conference, all right? It's going into its third year um, around Super Bowl time. And since Las Vegas is hosting Super Bowl 58, um, you know, uh, during Super Bowl weekend, you guys will be hosting this conference. So I wanted to start off by if you could both tell our listeners what is the Black Men's Brain Health Conference. And then, um, Dr. Turner, if you could go into the genesis, like why was it created? Because usually things with this magnitude and, and you know, this great stature comes from either something personal or something mom momentous that's happened in your life. Right. So I'll start off by saying, um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to let Jay talk about what is the conference, because I think the conference is going to be something um, quite different and unique in Vegas, right? It's because I'm going to give a lot of background on it, but, but I want to start off by saying that um, we got to give a major shout out to uh, Dr. or President Keith Whitfield, because in, in, in so many different ways, this conference and this work about Black men's brain health, the work that I'm doing, would have never happened if it wasn't for him. Uh, and, and I say that not, not only because he's the president at UNLV, but he's also my personal mentor. And my career in biomedical research is, is, is because of of Dr. Whitfield, as well as uh, a Dr. Wow. James Jackson, who we lost a couple of years ago, who was up at the University of Michigan. But had it not been for them, I'd still be writing books uh, like, you know, ethnographies and stuff. But they helped, they gave me toolkits and they gave me support to do something um, that is to continue to do what I'm doing, but even make it much more impactful. So um, we knew that in the third year of our conference, we were coming to uh, Vegas. And um, we always partner with an academic institution. And so I reached out to Dr. Whitfield. He graciously agreed to um, host us as well as be the keynote speaker and talk about his work and how it all ties together. But he said, you know, you need to get in touch with in everything that you need is going to be facilitated by my man, Jay Vicker. That's and so awesome. I contacted Jay. Jay said, I'm, I was waiting for your call. He got on a plane right away, took a look at what we did at the conference 2023 at uh, Arizona State University. And then he's now going to help us put some real, real local flavor on this to highlight what's happening there and, um, and to show the importance of the work that, that's being done in these areas in, down in, in, in Vegas. So I'm going to turn it over to him now. Well, I appreciate that. And Dr. Turner, it's good to see you. EJ, Miles, great to see both of you as always. And it's always good to be a part of this. Uh, black and sports podcast. Um, I tell you, first and foremost, I was really excited when I got the call from President Woodfield to talk to Dr. Turner about Black Men's Brain Health Conference. Um, it fits right into what we do at UNLV Sports Innovation. Uh, we know we have some really good leaders um, and subject matter experts surrounding, surrounding brain health. Uh, we have the Lou Ruvo Center here uh, for Alzheimer's um, in collaboration with the Cleveland Clinic. Uh, as well as we have great uh, subject matter experts in Jeff Kinney, um, Jeff Cummings here on our campus. But what's unique about what Dr. Turner is doing is he's looking at the ethnicity background of, of patients and the effects that they have as it relates to brain health. 
And considering he's a black man, his his initial focus is black and brown people from that standpoint. And so uh, considering we all look the same on this on this screen right now, um, <laughs> I have a lot of interest as it relates to being a former athlete myself. And so to have a project that I can be a part of and have our institution um, also be a part of that focuses on this very important subject matter. Um, I was enlightened by it and also wanted to learn more about how we can make our time here in Las Vegas, the best that he's had thus far and wanted to connect him to the Lou Rubo Center, to our subject matter experts. And I think by in those meetings, one thing that I saw is, and as you've probably seen in the last 40 minutes, Dr. Turner's going to blow your mind away. He's going to blow your mind away about the subject matter, his background, his intelligence, and, and just, just his thinking about how we can support not only all types of athletes, but athletes that look like you and I. And I think that's something that's really important that we could bring to the stage. And I know he talks about Black Men's Brain Health Conference. So when I went there, because I also focused on equity, right? You know, we talk about gender equity. But what he did there is he wanted to hear from some of our women leaders, uh, female Black leaders who are involved in sports and how that affects them by having men that have issues in brain health. And, and those leaders that also lead men in that situation. So it affects it from a 360 point of view. And so it's not just a, a conference that's gonna allow people to talk about black men or, or brown people. This is a conference that's gonna enlighten all those who have an interest in sports, have an understanding of how mental health can impact you. And the sports piece doesn't just start with just, hey, are you a football player or a basketball player or a baseball player, but also on the military side. And so those are the things that I think are really important. Our military here deals with PTSD. They deal with a lot of things that we don't understand. And there's no way we can understand even as athletes to be able to have uh, war on a country without even visiting that country. You know, we're talking about cyber war, uh, cyber attacks, um, no different than how you play a video game. And so there's, there's effects of that that happens, but his research, the contacts, that he has, the establishments that he's made, the foundation that he has, um, I think is gonna really enlighten those that attend this conference. And I'm really excited to be a part of it, uh, to help run operations, to help connect them to our great community. Uh, he'll also have the opportunity to meet our leaders that are part of our uh, Black, Black Sports Professional Network that our very own EJ leads. And from that standpoint, I think he'll have the opportunity to really see just why we're called the sports and entertainment capital of the world. Boy, son, look at that boy. Now, see, <laughs> Dr. Turner, now I see why you had to make sure he was on. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's a mic drop when you just get to sit back and let, let him do that, man. No, man, that got me excited. I mean, I was already excited. You know, anything that comes to the destination, uh, MH and I are always a proponent to, like, highlight that and shine and, you know, always be a part how we can. But just hearing that is, like, just amazing. And I think, you know, MH may ch uh, chime in this more than myself, but just the military part of that was something that, like, I think we both kind of, like, leaned back when we heard you say that because you hear parts of it and, and you get that the way you explained it. And I know, like, um, MVP, um, that kind of program that um, mm -hmm. Jay Glazer really talks about a lot, and I know it's building um, some momentum here in uh, Las Vegas with our local chapter, but the fact that you're including all those because there's all of that people that they're in real combat. Um, you know, athletes are in mm -hmm. a different combat for a game, but we all kind of go through, 
you know, when they say coming, there's a, a thing, right? Coming back to civilian life, right? So a lot of people are having some of those things that could affect them mentally. So that's amazing just to hear that. And just one more layer, a level of excitement. Let me let me jump in real quick, just because, you know, first of all, I'm going to say both of you can appreciate this, especially Miles. I remember when Jay first walked in the room in, in um, Arizona, right? And he, I knew he was coming. And I was like, man, that's that's a big brother right there. He, you know, he got some guns, big guy, right? And then um, we went out to lunch and, and I said, well, what position did you play at Notre Dame? And he said, he said, running back. I thought he was going to say defensive end. I was thinking to myself, man, God, how am I going to tackle that dude? <laughs> I was like, man, I'm glad I was done by the time he was playing. <laughs> but, I, but I wanted to say one thing. I want to make sure that we get to the listeners here. Um, shortly after we finished in Arizona, Jay said, hey, make sure you come down. Come out to Vegas. I want to introduce you to some key people out here. And, and what he, he didn't prepare me for this, but I was really blown away. And, and, and this is one of the things that we're going to really focus on in Vegas uh, in ways that we haven't done in, in the other conferences. And we hope to start getting some momentum here pretty soon in some programs that we're built, developing right now to put underway before we get to the conference. But, you know, Jay and, and the folks at Lou Ruvo Center and, and there in Brain Health at, at um, UNLV, they helped me understand that, you know, you have a significant population of, um, of older adults in, out there in Clark County and throughout, uh, you know, the Las Vegas area. And then we also look at UNLV and they claim to be, um, one of their claims is that they are the most diverse, racially and ethnically diverse campus on, you know, in the country, right? And so what that showed me in, in terms of what we do and doing Alzheimer's research, uh, neurodegeneration and those caregiving and all this other stuff, is there like, they showed me that Vegas is a great place to, to conduct this research and to make a great difference. And the people out there are welcoming, they're hungry, they, they're looking for all of this talent and, um, and the resources, the infrastructure is there to, to make a, a real impactful difference in the science that needs to be conducted. And so that's one of the things with our conference that we really wanna be able to highlight is like, look at what's happening as part of being the sports capital of, of the country and it connects the military and it connects, you know, all of these different things. And folks being out there retired, there, you know, Vegas is one of those places where there's people doing a lot of great things, but they're opening the doors for others to be part of the community and help them uh, face the challenges, particularly in this area around brain health, dementia, Alzheimer's and those kinds of things. One of the other things that you um, talk about or you do in your work is just the caregiver part. And that's big, right? Like, so, um, you know, I lost both my mom and my dad, both my parents. And, you know, we lost my dad first and, you know, then my mom. And just the, people don't understand the stress and the toll that it takes. And then that mental battle you deal with as far as, you know, feeling bad if you put them in a the home or taking care of them and, like, you know, what styles and, and levels and just that kind of mental anguish you go through with that. Um, how how are you seeing all of these disciplines, like, connect, right? And then you talk about Alzheimer's, right, because that's one of the things my, my – my dad suffered from he got on early onset dementia before you know he um left us um so how do you how are you putting all of that stuff together is that just do the research and i think that you know behaviorally is one of the big things that you point out in a lot of your discussions well you know I, i'm really happy that you 
connected that. And then as athletes, we can really understand this. And it's funny because how I, I started with this kind of conceptual model. I'm trained as a social and behavioral scientist, right? And, and then I've added on, you know, the, the part about, you know, the cognitive functioning cycle, social factors and everything. But I got to this place by thinking about athletes, thinking about sports concussions, thinking about um, CTE, you know, um, like Miles was talking about, and everything that I had read and er all the talks and all is everyone was talking about looking at a brain injury as an isolation to itself, right? Okay, what are the what happens physiologically to your to the physical brain when it gets injured? Right. But as a football player, you all know, as an athlete, you all know that if you hurt one part of your body, it, it, more than likely there, it, it, it resonates with other parts of your body. I mean, nobody's nobody. You know what I'm saying? Nobody hurts a knee and it only is contained to the knee. Right. It, it hurts everything. Right. And, and all of that, you got to think about how all of that plays together to get back up the next play and try to go about this. And I thought it just didn't make sense to think about just what happens to the brain, right? I started to think conceptually, how does, how do all of these things kind of put together, right? How does your personal upbringing, right? How does, you know, like things like being a man, your understanding of being a man. I played at during the time where my coach in high school had told me, he said, you never let the other team have the, you know, the, the satisfaction of seeing you get hurt. I don't care if you have to roll off the field. You're getting off the field, off the field. right? Yeah. Right. So, so think about what does that mean to you in terms of, of your understanding of what an injury is? Are you hurt or are you injured? Injured. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, right? And, and and anybody who's particularly played a contact sport. We as men, we don't go to the doctors no matter what, unless we have a woman in our life that makes us go to the doctor and managing our health, right? So if you have a football mentality that says you don't go to the doctor, right, until you're injured, because you can play while you're hurt, right? Right? You can make it through, man. That ain't nothing. I just, you know, like Ronnie Lott, they just cut the, the tip yeah, on my finger yeah, off. Yeah, That's no that big up. deal. Right? Exactly. <laughs> right? Walk it off. They walk it off, right? Put a little spit on it and go for it, right? So, you know, when you are having things that you're dealing with that happen, and we all know what it feels like, you know, that hit that you took at 22 years old, you don't actually feel it until you're 42, right? And then it really lives with you every day when you're 52, right? But when do you actually tell the doctor about it? You know, you start saying, well, I live with this long enough that it ain't no big deal. Right. That's just part of who I am now. Well, you can't do that with your brain health. Right. Yeah. We have to we have to understand who you are as a man. We have to understand what you've been, how you've been conditioned. We have to understand how the environment that you lived in and how you interact with institutions that get you institutionalized, like being in the military or being in the sports arena, how that impacts how you relate to you know, your health behaviors. I, I said, we have to pull all of those things together, right? Even in caregiving, we have to. And, and one of the things that I just want to also add on here is that um, AARP has found that there are over 2 million Black men across America who are providing care for a loved one, 
right? So that care could be anything from, uh, and it's, it's, that's what we call informal care, unpaid care, someone that has dementia. It could be someone, you know, a child that has some kinds of, you know, problems. So black men, we know our health profile, and I hate to say this, but it is true. We have the worst health profile of almost any group, right? And then if you add that stress, that pressure, and then you don't go to the doctor, how do all of those things impact our relationship and understanding of our own health. And so that's part of really what we try to bring the community, clinicians, researchers, athletes, and men themselves and women, right? All together so we can start having real conversations about what it means to really, you know, care for your health. And Dr. Turner, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's exactly how I view the, uh, the last conference is it was more than just brain health. It was just about health in general and how important it is to pay attention to those. I would say those key indicators uh, that you establish. You don't don't wait on it. You know we have to get past the mindset of are you injured or are you hurt. You know uh, we need to start caring about ourselves in a different way. But also understand there are. Um, some minority leaders out there within the profession that really do care about you and do and have done the research and have the knowledge to to help you um, as a person of color. And I think that's really important to understand that. And the more of that information gets out and and more people that learn about that, like what I'm excited about uh, that we didn't mention is that we went to the Little Rubo Center. We met with uh, experts on our campus, Jeff Cummings. Um, Jeff Kenny, when they talked about Dr. Turner, they lit up and said, I want to learn more. They want to know more about his research. They want to know how they can incorporate his research into the work they do at UFC and other entities in our um, in our great town and community and how they can implement that throughout their ecosystems. And that's one thing that we need to do that. Yeah, you may have someone who doesn't look like you that and sometimes that could be a problem for some people within our community. But if we can make sure his type of research and those that he's affiliated with have their research embedded into the ecosystem of the health of the health system, that's how we get better as a whole and understanding that that research is there. They know understand how to treat us. Right, and, and, and I'm really glad you said that, Jay, because the, one of the things we are doing very specifically, we're being very purposeful there at UNLV and taking advantage of the diversity in the population is we are raising up together, we're partnering to raise up the next generation of scholars from these communities to go back into these communities and take your your unique experiences and knowledge from the communities that you were raised up in. We're gonna train you so that way you can go back and take your knowledge and apply it to your community so we can learn how to how to help one another. Right. And doc yeah. and Dr. Turner, that's, is that your uh is that your emerging scholars program? Yeah. Or is that yeah. okay? Yeah, that's, that's the emerging scholars program. Yeah. And that's so, so what we're doing with on, Yeah, what, what we're doing with, with Jay is we said, Hey, listen, we want to break the Lou Rubo together. We want to bring all of these entities together. We want to identify young men and young women that are people of color that say, you know what, I want to learn how to do this research. I want to be able to quit because we know that, you know, just I was reading an article um about Charles Drew 
medical center there at uh, in Los Angeles. They're having their first class of um, medical students ever, 60 new students, right? And what they talked about in the article was that essentially people feel more comfortable going to a doctor who looks like them, comes from their community. So we know that people feel more more comfortable working with researchers, clinicians of all different types from their background. And we also know that we have a dearth of people we, we need many more people to be able to do this. And the only way we're going to ever be able to get those people is we've got to raise them up from our own communities. We've got to identify them. We've got to support them the way that Dr. Whitfield supported me. So that way they can go on and do great things. And that's why I'm so excited about, you know, how um, I would say how purposeful they are at Las Vegas at UNLV and saying we want to be, we have to do this. We want to be part of building that solution in our community. So September 12th was a uh, male, uh, what, Black Male Physicians Day or something like right, that? Right, exactly. There you go. There you and go. I saw a stat, like, you know, and it, it may be a little bit off, but just the, the sheer fact that in, what was it, like 1940, we only had like 2.7% that right. were um, male physicians, Black Male Physicians. And then in 2018, when they did the research again, it dropped. It was 2.6. Exactly. So, <laughs> so it's just, and, you know, hopefully it's getting better turn in time, but that's, that's that's the point that you're trying to make, right? Get those people into these different kind of facilities, get them to to know that this um, these opportunities are out there to grow, learn, and, and you know uh, be dynamic in this field. Right. It's on us. We have to do it. We see the importance. We have the resources. We have to be able to facilitate the support for this next generation of young folks. Absolutely. Man, EJ, hit the hit the hand, the applause, the the sorry, man, hit all the hit all the drops, man. That's, that's, <laughs> that is that is unbelievable. But you're so right. I mean, I, I I have a black dentist now, and the way he broke it down to me, he was like, "Hey, man, you got to just do this. You got to floss, bro." Like I'm like, you know what? You changed my life just the way just the way you put it, man. You know, like I I, I I'm with you. So, uh, man, it's it's just beautiful. I got so much I could probably say. I'm I'm really looking forward to the conference. Not not scholarly research, but I'll tell you this, Dr. Turner, my favorite place in Las Vegas is Mandalay Bay. Because you okay. talk about it's, it's literally my favorite place because of my research that I do. At any at any point, <laughs> and you sit in Mandalay Bay, you can see uh, you know uh, a business professionals at a conference. There's a there's a WNBA the Aces play at the building. Uh, there's a a, a a pool. Uh, there's a, a outdoor. What's he, what do you call the pools? Uh, EJ the, the lazy uh, rivers. The, the day clubs. It's oh, the day, day clubs. Club. You'll see somebody dressed like Michael Jackson. There's an uh, aquarium there, so you'll see families, like, you know, and then there's 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 old heads that's on the uh, slot machine. Like, it is like my favorite place in, in Vegas because you see all these communities kind of working all at once. So uh, different research, but if you have time to uh, take a look at Mandalay Bay, I promise you'll enjoy it. All right. Well, I think one of the things that we did not say, but it is very important, our conference isn't just for um, researchers clinicians, medical, we actually embrace and we, we, we look for those community-based organizations that are serving, particularly in this instance, that are out there on the ground every day serving Black folks, right? Serving Black men in particular, because and we can't understand particularly what's happening regionally, locally, unless we're on the ground inviting people who are out there on the front lines every day helping us better understand so we can then again 
work together. We want to work way outside of the, the ivory towers. We want to be living in the streets where people live to be able to find solutions. I love it. So, Jay, I do have a, a kind of getting wrapping this up. So how you guys are doing great things, man, you know, and, and MH and I, you know, get to know that because of the work that we both do in the community. And, you know, I've had an opportunity to kind of work, you know, beside you or just kind of watch what you do. And I always like to support it. But what are some things that we, our listeners, can do to, one, get the message out of what you're doing? Because what you're doing is important. And sometimes people just need to hear that message. And then how, how can we also support you? Uh, that's a great question. I think first and foremost is uh, keep inviting us to these type of have these opportunities on your type of podcast. Then also, I think this is a great platform, not only in our community, but for others to listen to. You guys do a great job. Um, we're actually going to start ramping up and all the different segments that we have our social media presence. And so one of these successes that we've had in the past year that we were awarded a $3.25 million grant. And we used that to, and what I wanted to do with that grant was invest into our students by hiring them as graduate assistants. And so now that we have more people power, I have the ability now to uh, expand that reach from a marketing standpoint. So you're gonna see a marketing plan come out from a social media standpoint that it give more information, but also lead people back to our website. Um, they'll be able to see a landing page for Black Men's Brand, Brand Health Conference that'll take them also to their page, uh, to the official page. But they'll see that collaboration with UNLV Sports Innovation. They'll understand that our very own president, Keith Whitfield, is, our, is the keynote speaker. But also they'll see other events that we're going to be involved in, which is like the, uh, the first omni-channel sports entertainment innovation conference um, that's coming to Las Vegas in July of 2024. And I'm happy to say that's part of a vision I've had for two years, but also a co-creator of it and with a collaboration with Syracuse University. So those are the type of things we'll do. And so just having the opportunity to, to do exactly what we do with Sports Innovation, which is create a platform for our students and faculty to speak on their research, showcase their research and their innovation, um, and also be a connecting bridge to our external entities within the community. Uh, whether that be local or globally, um, as we're starting to reach those pieces too. So I just want to continue to have the opportunity to interact with organizations such as yours, uh, interact with people like Dr. Turner and others and continue to get the message out. I still feel word of mouth is outstanding, but we, we will take advantage of, uh, of our social media, uh, utilizing our website and other platforms to ensure that People understand UNLV is is we may be a young institution, but we also are the fastest to reach uh, top tier status uh, and be our R1 Carnegie Research Institution as well. That's fantastic. And that same question to you, but I want you to start, uh, Dr. Turner, I want you to start out with the date and um, as much as you can share. And then we please tag us. Let us know when any of that social is available because we want to make sure we share that, tag it, like it, and be a champion for you guys as well. But, yeah, Dr. Turner, how can we support you? Well, um, first, I wanna, I'm going to invite you. I'd love it if you can come out and, and broadcast at, you know, at least part of the conference, if not you know, the whole thing, but, and, and even if you want to do some taping or whatever. But we want to make you, um, you know, part of it. We want you to be involved and be and, 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 and interview some of the folks that will be there. You'll see we have, we've got you know, some Hall of Fame athletes that are being there. We've got just really impressive folks that are going to be involved with it. And so we'd love for you to do that. The conference this year will be um, 
on the campus of UNLV in February 2024. The actual conference will be on February 6th, 6th and 7th there at, um, at the Student Union. And we'll start in the morning. I think we have registration starting about eight o'clock. The actual conference on both days goes from um, eight o'clock in the from nine o'clock in the morning until about six o'clock in the afternoon. It's a free conference, so we're not we don't ask people to come in out of their pockets and have to pay for it. We provide lunch for you. We also will have a um, social hour on um, after the first day of the conference, um, so that'll be there. We provide snacks. We try to do things healthy. Uh, we'll have some breakout sessions as well. One of the features that we're going to have this year that I'm really excited about, but we're going to talk about um, kind of the role of faith and spirituality in, in brain health, how that works. Um, we've tentatively also, we're going to hear from Maurice Claret, who um, you may all know from, you know, the Ohio State and big about his time and how he transitioned um, and remade himself after the time he had spent in prison. So we got some really exciting things that are going on that way. And then the, then the second day, the end of the second day, we do a big sports spotlight thing where uh, we have a panel discussion with women athletes as well as men athletes. We want to get as many of the high school kids and their parents out uh, as well, so we could use your help in, in the community to be our voice to let those folks know that starting, I think, around 6 o'clock, 5.36 on day two, which is the Wednesday, and I think that's the 6th mm -hmm. or the 7th, um, we want to just pack the house. We got room for about 500 people. So we really want to be forward thinking in terms of getting the community involved in any way that you can help us do that. That's what we want. Fantastic. Fantastic. All right. Um this is where we leave it up, man. We, we, <laughs> I mean, it's so much, man. You know, you hate for these conversations to end. Um, but just where we allow you guys to drop the assist. And, um, you know, Jay, you've done it before. So uh, if you want to lead it off with a quick just kind of, you know, words to live by, you know, um, or maybe like a quote that you want to do. And then uh, Dr. Turner will ask the same for you. Oh, man, you took me off guard on that one. I actually... <laughs> You know what? My, my head's been down, man, as far as trying to um, accomplish certain things. Now, it's interesting. We we get these opportunities. Right. And there's not a lot of us that have the opportunities to to lead people, to lead organizations and to move forward. So sometimes you think that you're alone in what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, but then when you have these type conversations around uh, people like yourselves, uh, you realize you're not alone and you realize that there's opportunities for you. So I would only say is don't be afraid to be a mentee and don't be afraid to be a mentor at the same time. And meaning I'm, what I'm saying is let's just keep learning. Um, and don't think that you're definitely alone in your journey. There's many people that want to hear about your journey, but they also want to help you in your journey. And Absolutely. that's what I'm really excited about through um, these type of collaborations and partnerships is that, uh, you got four different people on this phone from different backgrounds, and we have the opportunity to really help each other out, um, either through words or through actions. And I, I never will uh, think anything short of that. And, and I, I hold these type of relationships really close to the heart. So to anybody listening, um, value your relationships, understand you're not alone, and just keep grinding. I love it. Head down, keep grinding, value those relationships. All right, Dr. Turner, that was a tough one. He he, <laughs> he set it up strong for you. What you got? Uh, well, where'd he go? Um, there he I'm is. I'm back. I'm back. <laughs> um, 
You know, I'm going to say to me, it, it really stems from the, you know, which is the greatest commandments of all, all of all of these. And it is to love thy neighbor as thyself. Right. And so you can't do this kind of work. You can't, you got to love, you got to, you got to love the people that you serve. Right. And so for me, I'm, I hope that when people encounter me, um, they say, this is a brother who's, who's committed to loving other people and learning from other people how to love. Right. And so that, that's really where it is for me is every time I have an encounter with you, you know, how, how can I get better? How can my interactions with you help me be a better person um, to learn how to love and to receive love as well? Right. Because receiving it is just as important, if not even more important sometimes for your soul. You got to learn how to receive just as much as you learn how to give. And so that's really where, where you know, I'm hoping that we can make a difference in our communities because we really just, we love on people and we learn how to receive love from people. There it is. Give love, receive love and get better while we're doing it, man. MH, you got final thoughts, man. I, 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 I ain't going to disrespect nobody. Just go ahead. It's just been beautiful. Just go ahead. EJ. I ain't going to disrespect. There it is, the final thoughts by MH. No, this has been an amazing night. It has. Um, it's been said, um, you know, during the call, and, you know, we we all probably have that same esteem and gratitude. So we want to give a special thanks to UNLV President, uh, President Winfield, man. He's an amazing guy. He's doing a lot for us and the community and that university and all, which is which is a cornerstone. So um, definitely want to thank him for his support of the show and then just kind of connecting us all. And then we want to thank uh, you guys, our guests. So, Jay, Dr. Turner, thank you guys for being on. Um, the people listening, I hope, I hope, I hope you enjoyed the show. I hope you learned something. And more than ever, man, I want to see you guys at the conference, you know, 6th and 7th. We're going to be pumping and promoting that. So it's free. And like the documentary said, uh, if it's free, I'll take three. So I want to <laughs> see all of y'all there. Uh, make sure you show up and show out, man. And lastly, man, we're going to get out of here. But please, like we say, man, the new shows drop every Thursday. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel because seeing – um, is believing if you can see it you can be it subscribe to our shows we're everywhere uh, you listen to podcasts and don't forget please stay safe practice gratitude and know we're rooting for you screaming all us blacks got us sports and entertainment until we even assuming you're rooting for everybody black uh huh. Yeah. Sue me, I'm rooting for everybody that's black. Yeah. 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 Sue me, I'm rooting for everybody that's black. Spat bouts and racks on handmade and rags. Sue me, I'm rooting for everybody that's black. I serve everybody from sports to college class to rap. rap.